You know, as I was as I was reading this morning's parasha uh, from the Torah, as I said, it was, the, the, the translation was a little odd. If I would have translated it literally the way I was reading it, it would have probably come out something like, and then let go Pharaoh of the people, and God did not, or God not, allowed them to go. See, it just didn't sound very fluid. That's why I chose to do that translation separately. But we're going to read that again. We're actually going to begin at uh, chapter 14 of Exodus and the first five verses, which is, Adonai spoke to Moses saying, Speak to B'nai Israel so that they turn back and encamp before Piharot, between Migdal and the sea. You are to camp by the sea opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will say concerning B'nai Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so he will follow after them. Then I will be glorified over Pharaoh along with all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am Adonai. So they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people. And they said, what is this we've done? That we let Israel go from serving us. See, there's all of a sudden a realization that their slaves were gone. Who's going to do all the work that they did? Well, we know from this scripture and others, it was God that hardened Pharaoh's heart in order to turn him back and say, go get them. Because remember when he let them go originally, the whole agreement, so to speak, was let them go out a little ways so they can worship and offer sacrifices. So it was the expectation of the Egyptians that they were going to come back after they were finished. But lo and behold, surprise, surprise, that's not what God had intended. He intended them to keep going toward the land that he had given them, promised them. Well, this entire story that we're in the midst of, once again, I said it last week, I'll say it again, we're in a part of the Parshiot, in Exodus, where we're going to be again in a few weeks, a couple months actually, at our Seder. We're there during that Exodus time, that time that the people were set free to worship God. So I found this interesting story. Um, Rabbi Michael Gold wrote a story about Pharaoh from the eyes of Pharaoh's therapist. It goes like this. this fo- the following document was found near one of the pyramids and translated from the Egyptian hieroglyphics. I have been Pharaoh's therapist and the only person he could talk to from the day Moses and Aaron first confronted him until the day he chased the Israelites to the sea and disappeared. I was with him the day he lost his firstborn son, although I lost my own. Throughout it all, I have tried to understand the man. He stood his ground against Moses and Aaron. As a result, he and his people had suffered through ten plagues. In the beginning, Pharaoh hardened his own heart, but eventually God hardened his heart. In dealing with addicts, I have learned, if someone does something wrong enough times, it becomes second nature. 
as if it is a part of their very being. Pharaoh tried to save face with a compromise. Uh, let the elders go, but leave the children behind. Uh, let the people go, but leave the cattle behind. But Moses would allow no compromise. Moses did not quit until Pharaoh was totally defeated. Moses demanded unconditional surrender. Pharaoh finally allowed the Israelites to leave, but only after the most tragic plague of all. Every firstborn in Egypt, including Pharaoh's own firstborn, was slain by the angel of death. Pharaoh was totally defeated. I am convinced that he had a personality disorder. He was the victim of his own pride and his own stubbornness. He was a man incapable of ever saying, I was wrong. Now he was a broken man, forced to let the Israelites free, flee. Pharaoh did let the Israelites go, but then he changed his mind. He learned that the Israelites had fled and decided to pursue them. Even after everything else, he could not allow himself to be defeated. He had a personality that would not allow him ever to doubt his own actions. Pharaoh could never say he was wrong. In these final days, I began to feel sorry for Pharaoh. He was a victim of his own pride. Nonetheless, during our therapy sessions together, a thought often entered my mind. Is it possible that Pharaoh was not totally to blame? That he was the victim of his own upbringing? Since he was a young boy, he was told that he was God. He grew up in a country where Pharaoh was considered God. People bowed down to him. Everywhere he went, people worshipped him. I remember the day when Moses met him by the Nile before the first plague, the plague of blood. Pharaoh admitted to me that he was by the water to meet his bodily needs. He would go early in the morning before people awoke so nobody could see that he was a human being like everyone else. Enough people tell you that you are God and soon you believe you are God. If somebody is raised with a particular idea from childhood and told something their entire life, does that idea become part of them? If people grow up from the earliest childhood hating another group of people, Israelites, for example, can they ever break out of that pattern? Can we blame people for their attitudes when such attitudes have been driven into them from early childhood? Nonetheless, as his therapist, I tried to get Pharaoh to see the world differently to recognize the humanity of another people, to see himself not as God, but as a human being like everyone else. In the end, Pharaoh would not change. His upbringing had created a deep pride that allowed no compromise and deep hatred for another people. What can we learn from Pharaoh's sad life, from his confrontation with Moses that brought so much destruction to his nation and his people? Perhaps the biggest lesson that we is that we, when we grow up with false ideas from our earliest childhood, we will go down the wrong path. If a person grows up thinking they are God, it affects them. And if a person grows up thinking that another people are inferior, it is hard to change. Finally, false pride is a personality disorder. To be healthy, a person needs to be able to say, perhaps, I was wrong. When a person can never admit their mistakes, it can turn disastrous, not just for them, but for the people around them. And I know 
I think the therapist hit it right on the head. He just described Pharaoh in seven paragraphs. But we can learn a lot about how Pharaoh lived his own life. One of Pharaoh's greatest legacies is arguably the pyramids. The most time referred to as the Great Pyramids. People still travel today to Egypt to go see the Great Pyramids. Which were constructed thousands of years ago. I think part of the marvel is, how the heck did they get all those stones way up there and they didn't have the machinery we have today? But they did it. Pharaoh himself probably never understood that a man's legacy is not in, not found in the construction of mere buildings, regardless of how magnificent they may be. A man's greatest legacy is found in how he treated other people. In this way, Pharaoh just simply missed the mark. He could have been remembered as the man who set free the Israelites from slavery. He could have become the man who would stand before the whole world and declare that no human being has the right to oppress or enslave other human beings. He could have been remembered as the one who said that we were created to be servants of God and not servants of earthly masters. He had ten chances to do all of this. And he failed miserably. As we read in the first 11 chapters of the book of Exodus, ten terrible plagues were brought against his people and against his land. What is, what is, who, I forget who it was that said it, but the definition of insanity is doing the same thing the same way and expecting a different result. Ten plagues Pharaoh had a chance to change his responses, but he didn't. So it becomes painfully clear that the reason why Pharaoh refused repeatedly to do what would have been the right thing was, one word, pride. If only he could have known what Solomon would write in the book of Proverbs years after him. Chapter 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit with the afflicted than to share the spoil with the proud. Pride. Pride has gotten the best of many leaders in history. Pride is can be devastating and often is. But pride in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. All of us should maintain some measure of self-pride or we could easily become doormats with other people just walking over us. But along with pride, we need to be humble. Humility tempers that pride. A nice balance of pride and humility can go a long way in making us successful. We need to be able to exercise the ability to say, I'm sorry. To say, I was wrong. Maybe like the story about the 
therapist that we just read, it, it's similar in that it was because of his upbringing. Were we raised in a way that caused us to be prideful and not to be humble? Some people are. Maybe it was because he was worshipped as a god by his people. Or maybe not just that they worshipped him as God, but he accepted that worship and assertion that he indeed was God. Ultimately, Pharaoh either couldn't or wouldn't admit he was wrong. Pharaoh had multiple opportunities, as we said, to do what was right, to set the Israelite slaves free, to issue his own emancipation proclamation, if you will. But by doing that, he would be admitting that he had done something wrong. Therefore, he hardened his heart over and over and over again. At that point, his hard-heartedness and pride became a habit, a very bad habit. It was as if he was refusing to free the Israelites and it had become so embedded in his brain. And in that sense, it was because God did himself begin the hardening of his heart. And as a result... This pride and this stubbornness kept him from doing the right thing. Even if his brain could have told him that he should. His pride, just like many of us, many people, became easy. Because it became second nature. What habits do you have that are hard to break? Well, we can say that one of Pharaoh's things that he did, his habit, was being prideful. But he couldn't break it. And because of pride and stubbornness, the ten plagues brought devastation on Egypt. And we even read where Pharaoh actually tried to devise his own compromise. Like sending the elders and leaving the children, or not sending the animals with them. But even some believe that Deep in his heart, Pharaoh was probably well aware that there could be no compromise between slavery and freedom, or between himself and God. And so one after another, the plagues continued to fall upon he and his people. Of course, the last one, and of course the most devastating plague of all, being the first, the death of the firstborn, which included Pharaoh's own firstborn. And here's a thought that came to me while I was doing my study. You do understand that Pharaoh's firstborn would have been his successor. He would one day become Pharaoh. But that was cut off because of the pride and the stubbornness. So Pharaoh finally gave in and let the Israelites go free. Or so it seemed. Now, that could have and probably should have been the end of the story. He let them go away. But it wasn't, as we know. Pharaoh could have reconsidered his values. 
And he could have continued to rule Egypt until a ripe old age. And then when he slept with his ancestors, his son would become the next pharaoh. But his pride got the best of him once again. And it didn't allow him to become defeated. But now he wasn't capable of speaking the words, I was wrong. And Moses and Aaron were right. So he and his army pursued the Israelites right into the midst of the sea where he and his entire army were drowned. In the Library of Congress, there's a document. I know nobody's ever heard of this one by the, by the name. It's Proclamation 97. And it says this. Whereas it is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon a overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. And insomuch as we know that by his divine law, nations like individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world, may we not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war which now desolates the land may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us, then, to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. For those of you who know a little bit about history, you probably know that that was written by Abraham Lincoln. It was in March of 1863 that he wrote Proposition 97, which was entitled, Appointing a Day of National Humiliation, Fasting, and Prayer. That could have been written today. Those very words exist today among us. That could have been written back in Pharaoh's time. And it would have applied to him equally as well. These words apply to every generation. In 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning of verse 8, Peter was writing to the, the people that were living in the diaspora. And he said, Finally, all of you 
Be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, tender-hearted, humble-minded. Do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult, but give a blessing instead. It is for this reason you were called, so that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who loves life, wanting to see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek shalom and pursue it. For the eyes of Adonai are on the righteous, and his ears open to their prayer. But the face of Adonai is against those who do evil. He continues saying, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not be afraid or worry about their threats. Instead, sanctify Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, yet with humility and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that whatever you are accused of, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Messiah may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if it is God's will, than for doing evil. For Messiah suffered once for sins also. The righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Ruach. As Steve was praying, he prayed that the right person be brought to us as individuals. But it should be also, as Peter was saying here, that we have an answer when they come to us. Give us the words to speak, the right words to speak. And please, 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 did I say please? Never answer a question with what you think the answer should be or might be. When you don't know the answer, there's a very common phrase that's not used a lot. I don't know. People that I've come across will tell you, I say I don't know more often than you might think. Because if I don't know, but I followed up with something else. I don't know, but I'll look into that and I'll get back to you. I don't think there's anybody I've ever said that to that I didn't get back to them with an answer. Was it my answer? No. Because I prayed about it. I studied. I sought out the answer to the questions they were asking. That's what we should all do. And give the right response, God's response to those questions. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know. Pastor Rick Warren once said, pride destroys relationships. It shows up in a lot of different ways, like criticism, competition, stubbornness, and superficiality. The problem with pride is it's self-deceiving. Everybody else can see it in us but us. When you have a problem with pride, you don't see it in your own life. Pharaoh was really good at exhibiting his, exhibiting his pride before the people, before Moses and Aaron and the Israelites. But he wasn't good at recognizing 
the pride in himself. So it is with everybody. Pride is the last thing anybody wants to admit that they have as a negative source in their spirit. Again, some pride is good, but without the humility, you can end up like Pharaoh. And we see what happened to Pharaoh. His pride drove him right to his death. But how can we come become more humble? Simple. It's so simple that we miss it sometimes. It's by allowing Yeshua to control our thoughts, our hearts, our attitudes, our very actions. Instead of reacting, let Yeshua act. Let Him direct us through the Ruach, through the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning of verse 23 says, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. To say we're going to we'll be God? No, we'll be like God in true righteousness and holiness. How do we become a new self? Or how do we become renewed in our minds? Well, there's a basic law within relationships, and that is, you tend to become more like the people you chose to spend most of your time with. If you spend your time around grumpy people, you tend to become grumpy. If you spend your time around happy people, you tend to become happier. Therefore, if your desire is to become more humble... Spend more of your time with Yeshua. Yeshua is the epitome of humility. Along with that, we all recognize humility in one another. Associate yourself with someone who's humble. And we know to be humble. So we can become more like them, thereby becoming more like Yeshua. And guess what? Yeshua wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to spend and have us spend more quality time with Him. In prayer, in reading His Word, studying His Word. Because He is humble. The more we get to know Him, the more we will become like Him. You will recall Yeshua's parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. From Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. The other, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed this to himself. Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Thieving, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and tithe on all I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, wouldn't even lift his eyes toward heaven, but beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went down to his home, declared righteous. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. 
as we begin to walk closer with Yeshua, guess what else we're doing? We're walking further away from the enemy, the adversary. We're walking away from being Pharaoh-like. Believing that we're all that. And nobody can tell us differently. I know everything. You know nothing. So what is it we can learn from Pharaoh's life? We should learn that even though pride may be important, more importantly is being able, as the cliche goes, swallow your pride. Maybe if Pharaoh would have just let go of that stubbornness and deep-rooted pride, he might have been remembered as the first tyrant to have a change of heart and mind by letting the slaves free. His legacy would have been much greater than just the pyramids. I don't want to be remembered for the things I built, the construction I did. I want to be remembered because I was humble. I don't want to be remembered that I was a friend of Yeshua. And by being a friend of Yeshua, pride got set on the back shelf and did not become an influence in my life to the extent that I became like Pharaoh. Looking back at the words of Abraham Lincoln, we see that those things that he talked about in this proclamation exist today. But what are we going to do? As a nation? As a community? As individuals? What are we going to do? Are we going to swallow our pride and move forward doing the right thing and exalting God and not ourselves? Becoming less prideful and more humble. Finally, Yeshua, like I said earlier, was the epitome of humility. He gave himself fully on the execution stake for us. Had he not done that, we would have been lost. We would have still been living in our sin with no remedy in sight. We couldn't go back to the sacrificial system because there's no temple. Without the temple, we couldn't be going and offering sacrifices daily. Multiple times a day. He became our ultimate sacrifice. He became humble that we could be humble with Him. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we do give You glory and honor. To you be the glory. To you be the honor. Let us always remember to diminish, allowing you to grow, you to be seen, you to be heard. No matter whose voice is speaking, we want your voice to be heard through us. Help us to set aside that arrogance that pride that does not allow us to be humble, but to remember Yeshua. 
who is our ultimate example. The one who sacrificed all for us. Abba, we thank you for this Shabbat day. Thank you for all those gathered here today. That we can stand before you and worship and praise and pray. Knowing our source is you. Knowing that once we have praised you, once we have worshipped you, once we have prayed to you, you answer. I'm reminded of Daniel. He prayed and he saw no answer coming. But three weeks later, he found out the answer was coming when he was first praying. All he had to do was wait for the answer. It finally came. Because we know there are spiritual powers fighting against us and fighting against you. We know that you are all powerful and you can defeat all those spiritual enemies. And that you can break through that and bring us the answers that we're looking for. Increase our understanding. Increase our knowledge with that understanding. Increase our understanding with that knowledge. That we can grow strong, mightier, and more powerful in you. In Yeshua. As we yield ourselves to the Ruach HaKodesh to accomplish those things in our lives. Let us be diminished that you may be exalted. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen.